You know, you know, our daughter Maggie's class, they're studying Jane Austen and they're learning contra dancing. And it's pretty amazing, actually. It's a finely choreographed um, um, set of steps between two people that are synchronized and one movement depends upon the other. It's actually a rather beautiful, poignant, may I even say, honey, my wife right there, romantic dance. Yeah, absolutely, it is. And, and, and you know, when we start talking about generosity, okay, which is, where, which is where we're going today, and we think about our hearts, the way Paul relates those two things are function in much the same way. There is this intricate dance that must happen. And if any part of the sequence is out of step or doesn't inform the other, it's not going to make sense to us. The heart, our heart, your heart, my heart, and generosity are partners, finely tuned to one another, in sync and interdependent. And the Apostle Paul, over these next three weeks in 2 Corinthians, wants, us, wants to teach us this, and this is what we're calling this sermon, the dance of generosity. Now, now, if you're a guest, let me just say, we try to time these things that when you come, we're going to talk about money. Okay, that's what we, we really strategize and try to do that, just to kind of test your mettle and your fortitude, and can you hang in there? No, no, no. We, our practice here at Forks is to preach through books of the Bible. We've been preaching through 2 Corinthians uh, for the past six months, and today, we, by God's providence, we happen to land in 2 Corinthians 8. And, and here's just a little bit of backdrop as we dive into this passage. We are, it's hard to go a few days on the news without hearing about some humanitarian crisis happening around the world. But there was a true humanitarian crisis happening in the church in Jerusalem. Remember, this is where the gospel took root. This is where the New Testament church was born. And as thousands of Jewish pilgrims had been in Jerusalem some 20 years prior to this, at Pentecost, thousands were saved. Thousands more were continued to be saved over the subsequent years, which was an incredible joy and blessing because Jerusalem um, founded and launched, the, the, of course, the modern, I mean, the, the ancient missionary movement of the gospel spreading across the world. But it was a problem because all those Christians who became Christians stayed in Jerusalem. And that inflicted all sorts of hardship and difficulty. How do you feed people? How do you house people? And to boot, they were oftentimes there visiting their Jewish relatives during Pentecost and, or these feasts. And because they became Christians, they were ostracized from their families. They were, they were kicked out. So there, there, was, there was a double whammy of things going on in Jerusalem, which created this vast humanitarian crisis as people were literally starving. And so what Paul would do is see, because remember, Paul's mission was to the Gentiles in Asia Minor in Greece. When Paul would travel around and plant churches and visit churches, he would then take collections of money for the church in Jerusalem. And it was part of his partnership in the gospel with the Jewish leaders and elders and apostles in Jerusalem. It was a way for the body of Christ globally to be connected with one another and to support the church. And here in this section, Paul turns his attention to this offering. So 
we know from 1 Corinthians 16 that Paul had started this effort to collect money to support the Jerusalem church about a year ago in, 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 in relation to 2 Corinthians, but the offering had stalled out. Um, there was divisions in the church, Paul's leadership came under attack, and Paul has spent his first seven chapters here defending his apostleship, defending his leadership. Now that that's done, he sort of pivots and he turns his attention to this unfinished collection. And as we are going to see, um, Paul paints a picture of generosity for us that is grounded in the grace of God. And that you cannot separate the grace of Jesus Christ and the generosity of the believer. They go hand in hand. They're the heart and the soul. They're the steps and the contradance. And Paul wants us to understand how they relate and what it means to us as believers and as a church. So let's dive into 2 Corinthians 8. Read the first 15 verses. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as you well know, better than even we do, of course, we all come to these discussions of giving and generosity uh, with our own set of filters, our own set of, of glasses that color everything that we experience and say and do and how we interpret this passage. And Lord, to a to, to, to certain sense, that, that's understandable, it's unavoidable. Lord, by your grace, here's what I'm asking for us this morning, that we would see this text in a fresh way, unfiltered, unencumbered by whatever baggage we bring to the text, so that 
your word would take root in our lives. Lord, we don't think we have any greater need than to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. He who was made generous for us. So Lord, give us your grace as we look at the grace of giving in Jesus' name. Amen. Two points and two points only. Can we handle it? Think we can do that? Good, because I really have eight points. I just want to see if you could... No, no, okay, anyway. Two points. Here we go. Very simple. Generosity defined. Generosity demonstrated. Okay? Even a fifth grader. Our kids were playing, are you smarter than a fifth grader last night? They are. I'm not. Anyway, nevertheless, we can, we can handle it. Okay? Generosity defined. Generosity demonstrated. Generosity defined. Look in verses 6 and 7, because they tell us pretty clearly the central thing that Paul is asking of the Corinthians in these two chapters, okay? And it can be summed up in this. We look at verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I'm sending Titus to you to finish the collection, okay? So see that you excel in this grace also. See that you excel in the grace of giving. Now, in, in, in case this is, comes as a great shock, because we are not born generous, are we? Okay? That doesn't come naturally. Now, if you're a child psychologist or something, never mind, okay. I have my training in that, okay. But nonetheless, don't believe me, set out a plate of Kusha's beignets, okay, in front of your kids, and don't give them any instructions, okay, and see what happens, okay. It's a, glory, it's a glorious mess, okay. But generosity and sharing don't come naturally, okay. So in the same way, it would be fairly catastrophic spiritually For us to simply read those two verses and say, go therefore as you leave today. Four Oaks, be generous. A a catastrophic mistake. Because that's not what Paul does. If that's what Paul wanted to do, he would have given us those two verses. I'm sending Titus, take the collection, pay up, you're done. That's not what Paul does, because, because here's why. For Paul, raising money is not the goal. Okay? It's important, and it's a goal, but it's not the goal. See, Paul is concerned about the Corinthians' hearts. He's concerned about their souls. And in the same way, our great burden and task this morning, and over these next couple of weeks as we look at this subject, is to engage our hearts. For Paul, generosity is not the basis upon which we relate to God. For Paul, generosity is the fruit of our relationship with God. Okay? It flows right out of the grace of God. And that's why he doesn't begin the discussion in verse 6. We need to look at the first five verses, so let's, let's dive in. First of all, Paul says... Corinthians, I'm calling you to complete this gift, and I'm going and, and to sort of spur you on, okay, to, to sort of give you uh, a model of generous giving. I present to you Exhibit A, the church in Macedonia. Okay, so so verse one, Paul says, the grace of God has been given to the Macedonians so that they welled up in a response, a wealth of generosity. And here's what made this gift astounding, folks. It wasn't the amount. 
It was the circumstances that surrounded the giving. It says there's a severe test of affliction. We know from Paul's other letters that the church was under constant barrage, okay? Constant harassment. And that impacted people's pocketbooks, family members getting thrown into prison. And so part of what the churches in Macedonia were experiencing were persecution. Part of what they were experiencing were the ravages of being under the thumb of the Roman Empire. Remember when Rome came in, they would rape and pillage those areas. They would, they would suck dry all their resources. Okay? Most of the resources were consolidated among the ruling class in Rome and other places. And under all of this, the Macedonians, it says, experienced extreme poverty. Okay, the, the, the root word literally means rock bottom poverty. They were as almost as low as you could go. Okay, sounded like a dance song. But anyway, the, 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 almost as low as you could go. And they were, in fact, were not much better than the church in Jerusalem. And some of you I know have experienced that kind of hardship, financial hardship. Now here's a question for you. When you experience anything approaching that, whether it's a loss of job or income or unexpected medical expense, what do you do? What do you do? What do I do? It must have been 1975, 1976. My dad was a blue-collar appliance repair person who worked for um, a local utility company. He came home on a Friday and said, I've been laid off. Okay? There was no two-week severance, no golden parachute, no stock options, none of that. Okay? And I remember that first weekend, we were, this was pre-computer and all that stuff, we were just making notes to go around and to stick in people's mailboxes and to say, my dad was now working for himself repairing appliances. And let me tell you, it was wartime mentality, right? It was fish sticks and TV dinners. We did get Brady Bunch while we watched it. But nonetheless, okay, it was, it was, it was wartime in there. How do you respond? It's not how the Macedonians responded. And here's what's amazing. Their instincts were such the opposite that Paul says here, they, 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 they begged earnestly for the privilege of giving. In fact, they literally, they pleaded with Paul. It says they gave beyond their means, okay? That does not mean they went into debt, okay, to be generous. It simply means they gave more than could be reasonably expected for someone to give in a similar circumstance, okay? So, so first thing we need to ask is, how, how do we account for this inexplicable demonstration of grace? How do, we, how, do we exp- how do we explain this? Because let's be honest, as Westerners, okay, this just seems so counterintuitive, does it not? Okay. This, we, it's just hard for us to even have a framework. As our income goes down, we seek all the more to be generous. What explains this? Because back in the summer, I think I've told you this, Susan's parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, and so we all did a big barn dance celebration thing. 
and all of Susan's parents, uh, family and friends came, and they, they had all these gifts. And I don't mind telling you, it was a well-heeled group. Do you know what I mean? Like, even, ten, even West Tennessee has some blue bloods. And so they showed up bearing their gifts, and they were all incredibly impressive. But there was one couple there that you just knew immediately didn't quite belong. Okay? And by belong, I mean socioeconomically didn't belong. It was a man named Herman, and his wife came. And, and Herman, um, an elderly gentleman, he kind of did odd jobs on the side, and pretty poor. He was a handyman. People, like Susan's family, would, would give him little odd jobs, um, certainly because they needed things done, but also because it was part of the generosity to him. And they lived in a tiny house with no electricity for parts of the year, but they showed up at the celebration with an envelope, okay? And by far, it was the most significant, meaningful gift that they received that evening. Got a little picture of it, because we had to memorialize this. It's, very, a little, it's an index card. It says, $5 for Jimmy, $5 for Becky. I can't begin to tell you what that money represented to them. $10 to them, I, I don't know how much it would mean to you, but this was literally the widow's might for them. Now, what made that gift so meaningful? It wasn't the amount, right? What was it? It was a sacrifice. Herman loved Susan's parents so much, okay? They had showed such grace and love to him that his heart literally exploded for him what was an amazing show of generosity. Okay, same thing with the Macedonians, okay? Same thing with the Macedonians. God's grace had so captured their hearts that they were ignited by the greatest truth in the history of the universe. Look at verse 9. If you want to know what compelled the Macedonians, what they had, what did they drink? What did they eat? My goodness. I want some of that, right? Be careful what you ask for, okay? But verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might, by his poverty, become rich. See, the Macedonians were like, no, 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 no. We're not the ones that are poor. We're rich. We're rich eternally beyond measure. And this grace of God has so gripped our hearts and our lives. Generosity, and and the word here when it says, when, when it talks about the the, the explosion of generosity, the wealth of generosity, literally spilling over to excess. They couldn't, you, they couldn't stop it. It just, came, it just came out of them. So here's an important principle, okay? So listen up. What does this mean for us? And here it is. Folks, in order to get generosity, do you know what I mean by get? Like to wrap your mind around it, to make it part of your, your heart and yourself. In order to get generosity, you have to get grace. See, if our lives, if your life, if my life is not 
in some way marked by significant, measurable acts of generosity, okay, and, and it's certainly financial, but not just to include financial, with our time, with our priorities, with our service, with our gifts, with our commitment to one another as a church family. If our lives are not marked in significant ways, in some way, by generosity, something has short-circuited in our understanding of God's grace. See, some, some, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a synapse missing. There's, something is, is not wired. Our, our minds and our hearts are not connected to verse 9. You see, it won't do just to send everyone out of here and say, this is, this is what we need you to do, financially or otherwise. No, 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 no. That was not Paul's ultimate concern. Forks, it's not our ultimate concern. Our ultimate concern is that God's grace would root itself deep in your life and in my life and in our lives. And that only comes by understanding that our greatest problem is not that we are at rock bottom uh, materially. Our greatest problem is that we have to know we are at rock bottom spiritually. And Jesus had to come who was rich, became poor for our sakes so that we might become rich in him. And when that happens, generosity happens. Because generosity is the mark of a Christian. Okay, big term here. It's an ontological reality. What does that mean? By definition, generosity is not something we aspire to. Generous is something that we are in the gospel. And as we align our identities with that, the acts of generosity flow. Now, let me just kind of cut to the chase because let me just address the first question that often comes up when we start talking about this. What is the question? You can say it. How much, right? That's what you want to know. How much? And I'm going to tell, no, I'm not going to tell you that, okay? See, because a lot of times we'll say, you know, Pastor Paul, I get the generosity thing. I got it, I got it, I got it. Just tell me how big's the check have to be, okay? I need to check the box. I want to fulfill my duty and responsibility, get off my back. Just tell me how much. Now, you ever been in one of those Young Life talks when you're in high school on dating and purity? You ever been in one of those, Okay. And, and so the guy's talking about dating and purity. And what's the first questions teenagers have? How far? Just tell me. Okay, I want to know. Okay, let me draw the line because I want to honor God and act out of my conviction and conscience. No. Why? I want to go right up to that line. I want to get as close to the fire as I can get, okay, and still be okay. See, that kind of question betrays something about the heart, right? It's not about pleasing God and honoring God and having convictions and a clear conscience. It's just about what can I get away with. That's why we have to be careful when we ask the how much question. Because if we're not careful, it can betray an attitude. Just just tell me so I can get that out of the way to do whatever it is that I want to do with the rest. So here's another principle. There's a difference, okay? Here it is. There's a difference, for folks, in giving and generosity. 
There's a, there's a difference. Some of us, and this is, I'm about to like, you have your, you have your closed toe shoes on? Okay, Jan, you don't. Okay, I don't, I'm not going to step on your feet, okay? Some of us have been, and I say us, because I bring myself under that. Some of us have been giving all of our lives, and we, have, we may have never been generous. Okay? Some of us have been giving all of our lives, but we may have never been generous. Giving asks how much. Generosity asks how far. How far, Lord? I, this grace is just oozing out of me in generosity. And I am heading full steam ahead in, 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 in being generous with my time and money and efforts. And you're going to have to tell me when to stop. That's what the Macedonians did. Let me talk about just a, a, a real practical issue. Rubber meets the road for a lot of us. I think it's particularly relevant and applicatory for where we are as a church body at Killarn, okay? Guys, for a long time, and for 2,000 years, Christians have tried to answer this question about how much in terms of this concept of the tithe. And so obviously the tithe comes from the Old Testament. It's a, it's a principle of taking 10% of one's income and giving that back to the Lord, so to speak. And, and oftentimes, Christians use 10% as a benchmark for giving, a baseline of giving to the local church. And let me just say, that's not a bad guideline. Hey, it's not a bad guideline. Um, Susan and I use that. I can't stand up here and call you to anything if we're not being faithful and obedient to it. Not just us, but your other leaders and elders and pastors. We have accountability and transparency in these things. However... If our discussion or our, or, or our spiritual inventory ends with that question, Lord, there's my tithe, okay? Here's the problem, two things. One, do you realize the tithe is never mentioned in the New Testament? Never. And some people say, whoa, 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 that's just because we're an economy of grace and none of that's important. No, no, no. It's not that God changed the equation of 10% and now it's none. What is it now? It was 10% and now it's everything. Okay, and, and the principle of the tithe has been replaced by what Paul talks about here, which is proportional generosity. Okay, that's why, look down in verse 12, okay? For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Okay? Because for a single mom who has four kids and three jobs, 2% might be the most sacrificial gift she could imagine. And that pleases the Lord. Because when Susan and I were going through premarital counseling, remember the, 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 the pastor who counseled us, we talked about giving. He said one of those infuriating things that I'm st- I still struggle with for a long time. He's like, when you give, okay, give till it hurts. And I was like, what? That, that does not mean anything. Okay, what does that mean, give till it hurts? Well, as we've gotten older, I understand exactly what he says. Because guys, I can tithe, and it doesn't, doesn't hurt at all. And if that's the case for me, maybe it's the case for you. 
And I don't lay the law down to say, thus saith this. I don't know what this means for you. Okay? These are principles we're talking about. Okay? You have to sort them out. The important thing this morning is that you and I come under that word and really ask the Lord, Lord, what does generosity look in my life? Well, what, does that, what does that look like? And not just money. Our service, our time, we're under the misconception that if anything hurts us, then it surely can't be of God. If I commit to that thing and it requires me something of me and I get tired, and that can't be from God. Okay? Or if I do this thing and it, I get burned, or it costs me money, or what, whatever, then surely that cannot be of God. Guys, that is not New Testament Christianity. It's not what governed the Macedonians. What governed the Macedonians was the grace of God. So that's generosity defined. Now, last few minutes, this will be a little more brief, generosity demonstrated. Because it is a, a, it is a relevant, it, it, it's, it's under that auspices, it's totally totally legitimate to wrestle with what does this mean for my life, okay? And so I'm, I'm going to talk about two principles as they apply to you personally and us here at Four Oaks, okay? And, and here's, the first, here's the first principle that we're going to get from this text. doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, how many gifts you have or don't, but generosity makes a joyous claim on every member of this church family. Generosity makes a joyous claim. We hear the word claim and we freak out. Oh my gosh, somebody's going to make me do something. Guys, what fueled the Macedonians? Their what? Abundance of what? Joy. Generosity makes a joyous claim. Look at verse 13. And here is a principle for ministry and giving in the local church. This is really important. He says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. In other words, Corinthians, I'm not asking you to give and not asking anybody else to give. Okay, that's what he means. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time should supply their need. Okay? You're, you're giving them financial resources. Okay? That's one side of the equation. But then he says, so that their abundance may supply your need. What was that? the church in Jerusalem gave them the gospel. Okay? They were there because of the investment of the Jerusalem church 20, 30 years ago. And Paul says, if you were not to reciprocate in generosity, that's, that's not fair. Okay? Now, we have, to, we have to filter that word fairness through a political lens for a political season that's going on right now, do we not? And we do not need to make the catastrophic mistake of importing the political definition of fairness onto this text, okay? Because we'll hear lots of talk about fairness and income inequality and taking this from those who have and redistributing it to those who don't have and so that we can all enjoy benefits equally. If you want to know what I think about that, take me to lunch and I'll tell you, Okay. Other than it just doesn't work. But other than that, okay, guys, that's not biblical generosity. Okay, that's not biblical generosity. It's not biblical generosity to say that those who have the most 
should support all of those who don't have as much, and then we all enjoy the benefits, okay? Guys, that never works, by the way, okay? That, that never works. And, and let me give you an example. When are the most joyous, happy times in the Gilbert household? And when are they, okay? Susan's like, what are you going to say? Okay, they, they, it's not when all of us are sitting around for 12 hours a day watching college football or whatever the girls watch, okay, um, and we're all eating 5,000 calories, okay, and we get to the end of the day and we're like, you know, we're ungrateful and we're, we feel sick and we're bloated and we're just complaining about our poor, poor, poor life. No, 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 okay. When are things the best? When everybody's doing something, right? Okay, when people are serving, when people are um, uh, vested in the house, when they have skin in the game. One of our kids, he like, oh, he, I'll never forget, okay, anyway, <laughs> runs that place like a professional laundromat, okay? And when he's doing laundry, he is as happy as can be, never more miserable when he has free time. Isn't that amazing? Why? What is that? What is that? Guys, it's a, it's a biblical principle that our hearts are wed to those things that we have an investment in. And Paul would have us ask, where is my heart bound to this local church? Okay? And, 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 and you may be incredibly generous financially. But it's, it's, it's not just about that. God wants your heart. This church family needs your heart, your gifts, your service, your investment. And it's an interesting dynamic. The more skin in the game we have, the higher our level of spiritual health and satisfaction. Paul says this in Romans 15. Now, now, this is interesting. This is after he's gotten back to Corinth for the third time. They've taken the collection, and now he's going to report to the church in Rome what happened, okay? This is interesting. We get to know the, kind of the end of the story. Paul's writing from Corinth. He says, at present, he's writing to the Romans, and we're going to flash this up. However, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. See, he had made the collection. For Macedonia, we've already heard about them, and Achaia, that's Corinth, have been pleased to make some contribution for, poor, for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Ooh. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Let me just say it. If you are receiving spiritual blessings from this church family, it is to your joy that you contribute your gifts, financial and otherwise, to this place. Because that is, that, is, that is a biblical principle. And not just our money, but our time and our service and our efforts, because guess what happens? When we do that, there is a reciprocal relationship for all of us. We're all in this together, and God blesses that. There's incredible joy for your soul. There's incredible joy for my soul. Second principle, and we're done. Okay? This is very brief. Guys, generosity and giving are spiritual gifts to be celebrated. If you look back at verse 6, Paul says, Paul tells them, it's actually verse 7, that they have been excelling in certain ways. They've been excelling in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love. Guys, that's a list of spiritual gifts. 
Paul says, you've been excelling in those, and we want to celebrate them. Okay? Guys, in the church, oftentimes we have no problem celebrating generosity of gifts or service. So we honored Lauren, and our hearts resonated with that. Because oftentimes, though, we're reticent to celebrate the gift of generosity and giving. It is a spiritual gift. And we hide behind passages like the left hand and the right hand. Guys, that's not what that's about. That's just Jesus saying, don't give in order to be noticed. Okay? But as a church family, we want to celebrate generosity. And as Josh mentioned earlier, I don't think we've always done a great job of that. And there's just cool stuff happening around here all the time. You know, one family paying another's utility bill. Or another family supporting another family's adoption. Or a young family couple selling a car and literally laying it at the feet of the church leaders. Because there is just, I mean, people have been put out of home and being generously supported and on and on and on. I want to tell you a story about a family right now. I'm going to end with this. That I would love for us in six months to look back on this day and say, that's where that story began. I remember when Pastor Paul talked about that, and what an amazing thing. As many of you know, Charles and Jan Wilson, and, and, and Jan is up here in front. And Charles and Jan are blessed servants of this body. They have volunteered, they have served, they've given more to us than we've given to them. I have no doubt about that. Charles cleans around here, and Charles um, is in the hospital right now, and he is um, having open-heart surgery tomorrow, okay, bypass. Because Charles and Jane don't have extra income. They are totally dependent, um, hand-to-mouth. Charles is going to be out of work, you know, for a substantial amount of time. And there's a real need in our body. If you want to be a part of excelling in the grace of giving by helping them financially, okay, let me know. Let Pastor Josh know. Let David Hughes know, our business administrator. We can help give you direction of how to support them. Because what a great story that would be to tell. And most importantly, let's pray for them. Let's pray for them. Because as we point to the table, you might be saying, you know, Pastor Paul, I am feeling pretty crummy about generosity, <laughs> okay? Maybe, maybe you kind of have that icky feeling. You know what I say? Good, and I'll tell you why. Guys, as we come under conviction from passages like this, it's an avenue and it's an opportunity to taste anew the grace of God. Okay, guys, let's be honest. None of us are truly generous, right? <laughs> I mean, we all understand that. I mean, come on. I mean, this text lands on every one of us in certain way, whether it's the way you treat your family or how much time you spend or where... I, it's, it's so broad. And we can do one of two things. We can either say, eh, I checked that box. I'm tapping out. Or, or, we come under the grace of God. Because that's what Paul says. He says, Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What a gift God would give us if we all this morning experienced anew the fact that we are spiritually impoverished. But because of Jesus Christ, 
we have eternal riches by his grace. Because that's what this table is about. And here's what I'm going to call us to do. As our leaders come forward, prepare to serve the elements of the table, I'm just going to ask you to go before the Lord and examine your hearts. Thank God for his generosity through his son. Folks, thank God that we have a church family where we can make an appeal for a financial need and it can be met and it can be addressed. Thank God for his grace in allowing you to give so that we can do ministry here. Guys, we don't take that for granted. And pray that all of us would embody the spirit of generosity, not as a way of earning God's grace, but in response to the grace of God. So go.